Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father, who is in heaven, will give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it by are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. You already did that. You know the drill. That's awesome. Good morning, everybody. I am so excited to uh, have an opportunity today to talk to you about fatherhood. But before I do that, I have a little, um, little bag of tricks here um, that I want to share with you. So when I was a boy growing up in Maine, I grew up on the coast of Maine, one of the favorite toys that we had growing up back then, now I'm talking the 19, late 1960s, early 1970s. So the toy wasn't a living dinosaur. It wasn't a pet dinosaur band, if you're thinking that's what it was. I'm not quite that old. But every kid had one of these toys to play with. And we were absolutely fascinated by this toy. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen one of these. Anybody ever seen one of these? What is it? Magic 8-Ball. Now, just a disclaimer, we didn't think there was any connection to the occult or anything like that with these. These were a kid's toy. Every kid had one of these, and we were absolutely, utterly fascinated by them. And you know the drill. You ask the eight ball a question, you turn it over, and this weird kind of cube triangle thing in the bottom would come up with an answer, right? And it was floating in this blue liquid kind of thing, just a weird kind of thing. But we were fascinated by them. And for a while, we would talk about the blue liquid, and we came up with the theory that the blue liquid was acid that would eat through anything. Now, we weren't very bright up in Maine, because if it did eat through anything, it would eat through the magic eight ball and down through the floor and into the earth and all that. So it didn't really do that, right? It wasn't really that. But we were fascinated. So what you would do is you would, you would say, magic eight ball, is my sermon going to be okay? And you'd turn it over and look at the answer. Uh, not sure. Let's try that again, right? So we tried. So that was one of the toys that we had was this magic eight ball. Every kid had them. Now, I have something else in here. Uh, my wife and I, on the day of Aaron and Jenna's wedding, we were driving there, and we saw a yard sale, and we stopped. And we got a couple of things. Uh, not that. Not, not, not that. <laughs> I saw something... Um, 
on a table, and I had to have it, and I bought it. You know what this is? Nobody knows. Come on, what is this? It's a compass. It's a compass. It's an old-fashioned compass, and I looked it up on the Internet. It was made from, uh, made about 1965 by the Danforth Compass Company. And so the question is, what, what does this do for you? It gives you direction, right? You use it to navigate, to find your direction. So if you were lost in the woods, would you want to bring or consult a magic eight ball to find your way, or would you want to use a compass? Probably the compass. So those are my props. We're going to set them right there for now, and I'm going to get back to those. Don't forget them. And let's just leave this guy right over here. So today... I'm going to look at this passage in Matthew 7. I'm going to talk about five things. Five things. Number one, the way of dependence on the Father. The way of the Father, how he responds. Number three, we're going to learn how to live the way of the Father. And number four, I'm going to talk about something that's a little harder. The problem with fatherhood today. And what I mean by that is many of us didn't have very good fathers. And we, when we hear the term that God is our father, we might cringe about that because of what happened in our life. I want to talk about that for a moment, if you'll let me. And then finally, I want to ask you a question. Which way will you go? What direction will you go in? The way of the eight ball or the way of the compass? So let me pray and uh, we'll start. Uh, Father God, I just ask that you would help me to uh, have a good message this morning that would be uh, from the scriptures, that the word of God would be applied to our lives. Father, give me great liberty uh, to speak and to preach what is in your word and give us uh, hearts to hear and ears to hear what's in your word. We thank you and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And now the bandana comes down. So, we're in the Sermon of the Mount, right? We've been in here for a number of weeks, and if you turn the page back a little bit, we see that it began with these things called Beatitudes, how God loves to bless us. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person, over and over and over. Remember all that, like four years ago when we started it? right? And then we, uh, it talked about salt and light. It talked about how we as Christians deal with anger. What do we do with anger? And then there was lust. There was divorce. There was what about our word and how we speak? What do we do about retaliation in this day? There was a passage that talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. There was about loving your enemies, giving to the needy. Um, how do we pray, etc., etc. What about fasting? Where do we put our money? Don't be anxious. So the Sermon on the Mount is this set of teachings on how we live as Christians in the kingdom of God. And now we get to the seventh chapter in this little passage. So let's start out with verses 7 and 8. I'm going to reread them. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. It is absolutely clear that this little passage, these two little verses, are teaching two things. One, 
that we go to God and we talk to Him and we depend upon Him. The second is that He responds to us. He hears us. He listens to us. He acts towards us. So those two things, very simple. This isn't, um, as they say, rocket science. And as we read through this, we see there's a sort of a rising scale of intensity. To ask means to come to God with humility and consciousness of need. We go to him and we say, Lord, I, 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 I need a job. Lord, I need my daily food. Lord, I need help in, in dealing with a certain problem. We ask him. And then it, it kind of rises in intensity. It, the word seek means to, to, to be a little bit more active. An example might be, maybe we are seeking a job. And so what we do is we pray to God and say, Lord, I need you to provide a job. But is that what we do? Do we then sit back in our armchair and wait for the job to show up? No, we do a resume. And we fill it out. And we send it to a couple companies. The whole time praying, God, give me a job that you want me to have. So the idea of seeking is a little more active and we're more involved. Maybe we're doing something along with it is the way I understand it. And then the last phrase is knock. That's a little more urgently where you go and you knock on the door and you knock and you knock and you keep knocking. There's this idea of of being persistent and persevering. When I was a young Christian, I got saved in college. When I was a young Christian, I heard a guy preach on this and he said, you know how you remember all this? Ask. A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. Oh, I never forgot it. We were a little slow up in Maine, like I said. We did. So ask, seek, and knock. So the passage shows us this continual, persistent dialogue of dependence upon God. And then the second part of it is God responds. He responds. And how does he respond? It's really interesting. This passage says it twice. If you look at it again, ask, it will be given to you. So there's a response. You ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. There's a response. Knock, it will be opened unto you. And then verse 8 repeats it. Says it again. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Why does the Bible do this? Because we're all kind of from Maine. We're all kind of slow. We got to hear it twice. We got to hear it twice. Aaron's really agreeing with that. He knows me very well. So, so as members of the kingdom, we are responsible to maintain a running dialogue with God that helps us determine his will for our lives. The way we should go, the direction we should take our lives, and the big things and then the little things. And there's two examples that help us understand that. One is being fathers ourselves. I'm a father of four. My youngest is 25. My oldest, I think she's 32. Adults. And I know in my life the hardest times were when I saw my kids doing something and they wouldn't take my advice. They didn't want to hear from me. That was so hard to see that. Now, as a father, as an earthly father, we know that one of the main things that we do 
for our children is help them make decisions so that they can go out and be on their own and get off my cell phone plan and my insurance and live on your own, right? That's what we want for our kids. It's different. It's the opposite for us with God our Father. The more mature we become as Christians, instead of going off on our own, we become more and more dependent on Him. That's what we want to do, and that's what God wants for us. God longs, longs for a relationship with us, longs for dialogue with us. Some of the best times that I can remember with my kids is driving in the car. For some reason, driving in the car, if you let them drive, that's the key, remember this now, let them drive, they talk to you. And they open up and they share with you. And it's just that you feel so close and you feel so good. And you say, you know what? I wasn't that bad of a father after all. And that's what God wants for us. The other example that we have is our Savior Jesus, right? He was utterly and completely dependent upon his Father. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, Jesus says, not to do mine own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 14, 31, I do as my Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is praying. He goes a little further. He falls down on his face and he prays, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We see Jesus completely and utterly dependent on his Father, in dialogue with his Father, praying to his Father, talking to his Father. Now, how do we do that? How do you and I today in 2020 do that? How do we have this dialogue? Prayer. It's obvious. Number one is prayer. This is the main way. And what I mean by that is having that running dialogue constantly right? I'm driving up this morning in my car to come up here, and I'm driving along. Now, listen, when you pray in the car, don't close your eyes if you're driving. (laughs) Bad idea. Keep your eyes open, but just talk to God and share with him, Lord, I'm a little nervous about this sermon. I don't know how it's going to go. Lord, bless me. Bless the congregation. Lord, maybe there's someone that doesn't know Jesus, and I'm just talking like this. Having the running dialogue and constantly sharing with our Father what our thoughts are, what our concerns are, what our needs are. That's what God wants from us. Do you not see that? You see that. Amen. And the other way we do that is through God's Word. Aaron talked about the Scripture just a couple minutes ago, about reading the Scripture and praying, God, what do you want me to see from this passage? How shall I apply it to my life? Show me more of Jesus. Show me how to be more like Jesus. So we pray, we talk to God continually, we read the scripture, and another way is we have fellowship with other Christians. Why do we have this thing called the church? Why? So we can be in community together. We can encourage each other. We can help each other. We can talk to each other. I may, I may go to Josh and say, hey, Josh, I'm thinking about doing something. Um, let's talk about it. And he may give me some advice and say, hey, here's, here's something you may not have thought about. So we get input from other godly Christians. That's how we hear the voice of God often. That's how we have this communication and figure out our way in the world. Okay, i got to move on. Part two, the way of the Father. He responds, verses 7 and verses 8. No, I lie. Verses 9 and verses 10 through 11. So look at your Bible. 
For which, way, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who asked him? Listen to me. Jesus teaches that God the Father gives good gifts. This is who he is. I'm so, so glad that we sang that song, Good, Good Father. I, I get choked up every time I sing that song. I can't help it. He gives good gifts. So there's two examples here, bread versus a stone. He doesn't give a stone, he gives bread. The Father provides gifts that will nourish us, that will grow us, that will build us up, not gifts that will break our teeth and weigh us down. Not gifts that will break our teeth and weigh us down. The Father gives us good gifts to nourish us, to help us, and to build us up. Fish versus a snake. Now, when I was a kid, I probably wanted a snake. We always had snakes kicking around. The Father provides gifts that won't hurt us. So, ex another example. So, at Christmas time, right? As kids, you want toys. And you're sitting there, and the box is from your Aunt Pat and Uncle Steve, and you open it up, and it's underwear. And you're like, oh, come on. I don't really want that. And your mother says, thank Aunt Pat and Uncle Steve for that. And you say, thank you for the underwear. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that God gives us gifts that we need. Sometimes not gifts that we think we need, but gifts that we truly, truly need. If you look at the Beatitudes, remember I, I started talking about the Beatitudes at the beginning, how God loves to bless us? Remember when Ben preached about that 400 years ago, back when we were young? Remember Ben said, they're upside down. It's like an upside down world. You remember that sermon? It was so powerful. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that sermon. You look at the Beatitudes, and we know God the Father loves us, and he blesses us, and he loves to bless us, and sometimes those blessings are not what we want. They're upside down. Can you imagine a situation where God might give us some hunger in our lives so that we thirst more for him? That's what the Beatitudes talk about. Maybe God causes us to mourn. Maybe God gives us some poverty in our life to teach us something. So sometimes the gifts that we get from God the Father may at first seem a little upside down. I know in my life and in the lives of many Christians, sometimes the hardest times in their lives, sometimes the most challenging times are the times that God blesses them the most. And they look back on that time and they say, oh Lord, thank you for bringing me through that. That was indeed a good gift. It didn't seem it at the time, but you taught me, you grew me, I'm more dependent upon you, we're closer together. That's what that's talking about. And sometimes, listen, listen to this. Sometimes you and I pray for things and ask God for things that he's already provided a clear answer for in Scripture. And we're trying to find a loophole. We're trying to find a way out. But it's already clear in Scripture. An example. 
Father, uh, I know I shouldn't move in with my girlfriend, but I, it, it just makes so much sense financially, and if we were together, um, you know, we'd be happier, and, and maybe I can witness to, witness to her. No, 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 no. Don't pray for that. Pray to the Father that God would give you strength to say not to move in with her. We know what Scripture says about that. And I could give you 10 more examples, but there isn't time. Sometimes we pray for things we shouldn't. Sometimes we ask for things we shouldn't. There's a verse in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 3. James says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So many times we ask for things to spend it on our passions. We ask for stuff in our lives that we think are going to make us happy, but in fact it doesn't. We know that. And, and, and lastly, on this point, it, it, there's a little verse there. I've got to get back to, to Matthew 7, where it says in verse 8, for everyone who asks receives. You and I have got to be ready to receive God's answer and to hear what God has to say. And again, it may not be what we want, and we may fight against it, but we should be able to receive what God has to say for us. We have to be open to what his will is for us in our lives. Okay, part three. You ready for part three? Luke's ready in the back. Verse 12. We're going to transition. You may think what, it doesn't feel like this fits, but it does. Verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It starts out with a so, that little word so, two letters, S-O, so, not S-E-W, to so, but so. So it's connecting something. You look back and it says, what, what do you mean so? So what? Look, here's the story. What's being described in the previous verses is our vertical relationship with God the Father. Vertically, Right? And what happens every time we strengthen our relationship vertically with God the Father? We then live it out horizontally with our Christian friends and, and, and people around us. So we go from vertical to horizontal. So that's why this verse is there. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Call this the, the golden rule. So, what does that mean? How do we live that out in our lives. If our Father has been available to us, has heard us, and we're dependent upon Him, and He answers us and gives us good things, what do we do with that for our Christian brothers and sisters? First off, we're available. We're available to hear them. To hear them. First thing, be available to hear their story. You don't have to have an answer all the time. You don't have to have a solution. But be available to let them talk and to hear them. We must make time in our relationships for people to talk to us. And it must be a safe relationship. It must be a safe place where they can say anything to us and we're not going to be shocked. Make time be available. And then there's this idea of responding to them with good things. What does that mean? That means treating people how God treated us. Taking our example 
of our experience with a loving Father and using that for a model as to how we treat others. So if somebody needs something, we try to provide it. If someone needs a coat, we, we give them two. If someone says, can you drive me to Burlington? We, we, we drive them to New Orleans. We go the extra mile. We try to do good things. Now, sometimes good things may be telling them a truth that they may not want to hear, right? And we have to do that with gentleness and meekness and love. And, and Jesus says, this is the law and the, and the prophets. This is what the Old Testament is all about, taking God's revealed law, that vertical thing, and bringing it out horizontally to live it in community. Now, who did that perfectly? Who lived out the law and the prophets? Remember back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to live them out perfectly. He, again, he's our example. He was totally dependent on the Father in every aspect of his life, and then he lived them out in community. So what did that look like? He made time for people. He was available to people. He listened to people. He responded to people. He had love and truth. He was merciful. He brought justice. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. On and on and on. That's our Jesus, and that's who we need to be like, our example. Okay, part four problem of fatherhood. I know that there are some of you today, maybe here in this room or online, hearing this, and you're sitting here this morning, and every time I say the word father, you kind of cringe and you twitch because your relationship was not very good. Maybe you had a terrible father growing up. And the thought of God as your father is a nightmare. If that's the case, I want to say a couple of things to you this morning. And, and I just want to ask if you'll hear me, if you'll hear what I have to say. Number one, I want to say this. As a man and as a father in this world, I can tell you that we have failed. We have failed to be good fathers to our sons and our daughters, and I profoundly and humbly apologize. I'm so sorry. Secondly, I don't pretend to know your specific situation. I don't pretend to know the pain that you personally have gone through with your relationship with your father. I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm not trying to have a pat answer. I'm not trying to explain it away. Now, maybe, maybe you had a harsh, demanding father, and you felt like you could never, ever measure up. Maybe you had an older brother or sister who was perfect, and you lived in the shadow of that sibling, and you just never made it up, and you'd sit at the dinner table and hear all about your older brother, and look what John did, if you were only more like John, and you went through that pain your entire life. That's a real thing. And you feel worthless because of it. Will you hear me this morning? 
Even though your earthly father treated you this way, you have immense value in his sight. He treats you as precious. In fact, so precious and so valuable in his sight that he sent his son to die in your place for your sins. He longs for you. He wants you. And you are precious. Maybe you had a father that caused you intense shame. Shame is a hard word. Shame because of how he acted or what he did. When I was uh, dating in high school, I was dating a young lady, and her dad had a problem with alcohol. And she had me over one night, and we were sitting watching TV in the living room, and uh, her dad walked out. He had been drinking and gone, fallen into bed asleep, and the bedroom he slept in was off the living room, and the door opens, and out he staggers in his underwear. And she cried. She felt so much shame over her dad. That's so hard. And she cried in my arms that night about the shame she felt. And maybe you felt that shame about your earthly father. Maybe you felt that in your life. Please hear me. Our God in heaven, our Father in heaven, cancels the shame. There is no shame with him. There's a verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 11 that says, everyone, listen to me, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's so much more to say here. I could talk a whole sermon on this. God cancels shame. If you feel shame in your life, run to the Father. He will not shame you. Maybe you had a father who accepted you and gave you affection only when you acted a certain way. Maybe if you got all A's, your father gave you a hug, but when you got that B, you felt disapproval. Maybe it was sports, and when you were good at sports, maybe it was your college choice, and your father had this idea that he wanted you to be just like him, and when you said, no, I want to go and do this other thing, you felt the disapproval, and you felt that his love was just slipping away. The only way that you felt his love is when you did what he exactly wanted. Whether it was career, whether it was a boyfriend, it was his version of being successful. It was called conditional love. Let me share something with you. One of the deepest mysteries in this world today, one of the deepest mysteries in all of eternal, the Father loves us unconditionally. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'll never get to the bottom of it. There's a verse back in Deuteronomy chapter 7 where God talks about loving Israel. It says, The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more in number than other people than the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of, of people, but it's because the Lord loves you. So... <laughs> It's circular reasoning. Why does the Lord love you? He loves you because he loves you. Why did the Lord set his affection on you? He set his affection on you because he loves you. Why does the Lord love you? Because he set his affection on you. It's circular reasoning. He loves you because he loves you. He doesn't love you because you're the best. He doesn't love you because you're the best dresser or has the best hair head, uh, 
Ben? He, he, it doesn't matter. He loves us because he loves us. There is no condition at all. He loves us because he loves us. And the final example is maybe you had a father that deserted you. Maybe he was physically present in the home but emotionally distant because of work, because of career, who knows. Maybe he left and you felt responsible. Maybe there is a divorce and he's gone from your life and you don't know why. And the pain is there to this day. Years ago, I had a radio program out of Middlebury, and I interviewed area Christians about their faith. And one evening, I had a lady come on, and she was a bit of a, of a hard case. Just tell by the way she looked that she had lived a hard life. And she was probably in her 50s and just had a hardened look about her. And I said, okay, tell us how God is working in your life. And, and her face lit up, and she talked for 30 minutes about how God was blessing her. And at the end of it, I said, what one thing do you want people to hear? And she turned to me, and she looked me in the eye, and I'll never, never forget this. She looked at me, and she said, every man in my life has abused me and left me, starting with my father and my stepfather and my boyfriends and my first husband, and my second husband, and my third husband. Every man in my life has deserted me and hurt me. But not God. She said, if I could say one thing, I want one verse. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never, listen to me, I will never, never leave you or forsake you. The message translation says it this way. I will never let you down. I will never walk off and leave you. The Amplified Bible says it even more. I will never under any circumstances desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake or let you down, or relax my hold upon you, assuredly not. This is God our Father. He will never let us down. He will never leave us or forsake us. So what are you going to do? Which way will you go? Gate number one has the magic eight ball in it. Just a bunch of plastic. Gate number two is a compass. The last scripture portion is this, verse 13 through 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's two gates. One has a wide entrance, very easy to make that decision and go down that path, but the result is destruction and death. Gate two, it says, is a narrow way. Why does it say that? Because the scriptures teach that there's only one way to God the Father. It's a very exclusive way, and that's through his son Jesus. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one name under heaven why men and women can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one way, only one way. It is a narrow way. And Scripture says it is a hard way. Why is it hard? Because you have to say, I want to deny myself. I can't do it myself. I need help. And the whole world is telling you, no, no, no. Just live out your inner self. Be who you want to be. Be authentic. No, friends, don't go that way. That's the easy way. Go the way of Jesus. And the end result is life everlasting. Abundant life. A life in relationship with a father that will never leave you, never forsake you, never let you down. So which is it? Are you going to follow the way of the world, a bunch of plastic with some blue liquid in it? Interestingly enough, I, I was on that look at the back of this compass, and it says, fill only with Danforth DW35 compass fluid. You've got to go and fill it with a certain fluid to make it work. And I found it on the Internet. <laughs> so this metaphor I'm using, a bunch of plastic that's just a bunch of chance and means nothing, or a compass directly tied to the force of Earth's magnetic field, consistently points to the right direction, and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Run to the Father. Run to the Father. If you had a bad relationship, run to your Heavenly Father. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, run to the Father and believe in Jesus. I just pray that someone here this morning would hear this message and put their faith in Jesus and run to the Father who delights in blessing you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these scriptures. I ask that you would bless them as they go forth. I ask that you would work on people's hearts to make them run to you, to depend upon you, to dialogue with you, to just pour out all our anguish at your feet, Father, because you love to give us good things. You love to bless us. You are truly our good, good Father. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.